Welcome to The Markets. Dateline, Chicago, Friday, September 18. Hello, everyone. Orion Samuelson with you, along with the two or three other people who'll be joining me for this weekly get-together that takes a look at the markets from Wall Street to the Board of Trade to the Mercantile Exchange and everywhere in between. And as usual, a busy up-and-down market on Wall Street. And as we take a look at today's activity, we find the stock market fell as technology shares sold off for a third day in a row, while all three of the major U.S. indices posted a third straight week of declines. It was the NASDAQ's first such weekly streak since August of 2019, and the S&P 500 and the Dow's first since early October 2019. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet Google, which helped to fuel the market's rally off the lows we hit back in March, were among the biggest drags on the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ today, while the S&P 500 technology index fell 1.7%, the biggest weight among the S&P 500 sectors. Apple was down 3.2%. Tom Martin, who is a analyst and portfolio manager in Atlanta, said, We had a market peak on September 2nd, and then we had a rapid decline, and a lot of that came in technology and growth stocks that had done so well. But he went on to say, Even though the market has had a sell-off in technology and growth, It doesn't mean the valuation extremes are fully worked off. Today marked the quarterly expiration of U.S. stock options, stock index futures, and index option contracts. That's what's known as quadruple witching, bringing some increased trading volume at the market close. Volume on U.S. exchanges was 14,310,000,000 shares, the highest since this year's reconstitution by the FTSE uh, Russell of its indices in June. So the Dow Industrial Average today, down 244 points to close the day at 27,657. The uh, Dow ended barely lower on the week, while the S&P 500 fell seven-tenths of a percent, and the NASDAQ dropped six-tenths of a percent for the week. Today, the S&P 500 lost 37 points to close the week at 33.1947, and the NASDAQ composite dropped 117 points to uh, end the week at 10,007. 93. Strategists said investors appeared to be continuing a recent rotation out of the high-flying tech-related stocks and into other sectors. One analyst said, we're not sure this really indicates there's a problem with economic growth, but rather there's some profit-taking some adjustments and rotation. You're moving from the biggest weight in the market to the smallest weights. The S&P 500 materials is the best-performing sector so far this month, while the S&P 500 technology is the worst. 
Investors kept a close eye on rising coronavirus cases overseas. European countries from Denmark to Greece announced new restrictions on Friday to curb surging coronavirus infections in some of their largest cities, while Britain was reported to be considering a new national lockdown. Tesla rose 4.4% as two analysts raised their price targets on the electric car maker's shares ahead of its highly anticipated Battery Day event scheduled for next week. And then we take a look at uh, the uh, uh, what's going to happen next week as far as some people know. So let's let's look at that. Tiffany Company is expected on Monday to ask a Delaware judge to fast-track its lawsuit seeking to hold French luxury goods giant LVMH to its proposed $16 billion merger. Moving the case quickly may be the difference between forcing the owner of Louis Vuitton to close its proposed deal for the American jeweler and a years-long case about extracting a financial penalty for breaking that merger agreement. Federal Reserve Board holds virtual open meetings to discuss an advance notice of proposed rulemaking on the Community Reinvestment Act regulation. Federal Reserve Board Governor Lael Brainerd speaks on Community Reinvestment Act before the Urban Institute event. Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas President Robert Kaplan leads discussion on national, global, and economic issues before the virtual Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. My goodness, I think everybody that's in business in the country will be an expert on virtual reality before this pandemic is over. The U.S. Congressional Budget Office publishes a long-term budget outlook Every year, the nonpartisan CBO publishes a report presenting its budget projections for the next 30 years. How do you look ahead 30 years in the world we're living in today? And uh, also next week, we're going to see the several governors of the Federal Reserve on the road speaking to various groups. Tesla is, uh, and Elon Musk, Scheduled to showcase the company's advanced battery technology on Tuesday. Also expected to showcase some other new strategic moves aimed at proving that Tesla's battery electric vehicles will soon be superior to internal combustion vehicles and electric cars from legacy automaker in terms of cost, driving range, and software intelligence. Musk has been promising investors he will unveil significant advances in battery technology. A relatively light U.S. economic calendar scheduled for next week. 
The National Association of Realtors expected to show on Tuesday existing home sales likely rising to a seasonally adjusted rate of 6 million units in August. That would be up from 5,860,000 the previous month. Data firm IHS Market scheduled to release its flash composite manufacturing and services purchasing managers indexes. And weekly jobless claims will be on the tap for Thursday again. Economists polled by Reuters forecast initial claims probably falling to a seasonally adjusted 845,000 for the week ended uh, on September 14th. That would be down from uh, 860,000 in the previous week. And then a separate report from the Commerce Department expected to show new home sales probably falling to an annual rate of 900,000 units in August from 901,000 units in July. Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago President Charles Evans expected to speak on current economic conditions and monetary policy at a meeting on Tuesday. And uh, the rest of the week, we have uh, three Federal Reserve Bank presidents speaking at important economic meetings, but they'll be doing it virtually, and uh, that means they won't be sitting in the same room. When Nike releases its first quarter results on Tuesday, the company's profit and revenue are expected to decline, likely hurt by lower traffic at its stores because of the COVID-19 pandemic. General Mills expected to report an increase in first quarter earnings on demand from people who are hunkered down in their homes due to the COVID-19 pandemic when the Cheerios uh, cereal maker posts its earnings on Wednesday. Investors will be on the lookout for any comments on potential supply chain issues. Costco Wholesale Corporation's fourth quarter profit and revenue are expected to increase on Thursday, boosted by strong demand for frozen frozen foods, liquor, sporting goods, and electronics, and investors will look out for the warehouse club operator's comments on current levels of demand and membership revenue. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau expected to unveil on Wednesday what he says is a bold, far-reaching plan to help Canada recover from the pandemic. On Tuesday, Chief Executive Officer of Credit Suisse, Thomas Gottstein, scheduled to present the Bank of America Financials Conference. On the same day, UBS Group CEO is expected to speak at that conference as well. And uh, looking at foreign, talk of reopening the border again between Canada and the United States. Some other countries checking in, Brazil slated to post its current account balance data for August. The Thursday report we'll be watching is Mexico's central bank scheduled to release its monetary policy decision. And Argentina's gross domestic product for the second quarter is due on Tuesday. So a fairly busy week, but much of it next week will be done 
virtually without people sitting in conference rooms and listening to speakers at uh, the uh, stage. So that will add to the interest in trying to determine what really is being said at those meetings that are scheduled for next week. Mike Pearson is sitting with his guest, an agricultural analyst, and we're going to take a look at the agricultural markets when we continue on the markets. We know a lot of farmers are watching the skies as they get ready for harvest. And to help us understand what's going on in the markets, we are joined by Dan Bossy of Ag Resource Company. Dan, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, Mike, always my pleasure. I'm glad to be with you. Lots going on in the egg markets. All of it good for the moment for the farm. Well, that's the truth. And let's talk about corn right off the bat. We've got the December contract trading higher than it has any time since March. How aggressive should growers be before they really know what's out in those fields? Well, I think at the moment, this is a rally farmers do need to be rewarding. We still don't know exactly about the Chinese demand. And and that's the big question for the marketplace in that the Chinese have bought about 9 billion metric tons of corn. Let's call it 350 million bushels. They'll be adding to that. But how much is really uncertain if there's not more than a couple million metric tons or let's say 80 or 100 million bushels, then farmers need to be aggressive. If China buys more, then we'll, of course, see higher levels may make it up to 380 or 385. But I do believe this three. 370 to 380 area is a place farmers need to be looking at and making some sales. Well, now, and you mentioned the Chinese demand there. We heard earlier this week that China's corn crop may be off as much as 10 percent thanks to the uh, pervasive flooding that has really decimated that country. Is that where you see a lot of this additional Chinese demand coming from? I think it's more political. I think that the Chinese, because of phase one and wanting to have a book on before the election in the United States, are coming to the United States and buying a fair amount of soybeans and corn. You know, and soybeans, I think, for up to about 23 or 24 million metric tons of U.S. soybeans in a known and unknown position. In the case of corn, as I said earlier, we're going to probably approach 10. And so those are record levels, at least at this state, for the United States. Will China come on before or, let's say, after this? That's the question. I think the Chinese will kind of slow down their purchasing once we get into October because they really don't want to influence the election any more than they have already. Gotcha. Well, as long as we're talking about demand, the other big factor of corn demand, of course, has been ethanol, which has been under fire since COVID really got started. Do you see an uptick coming in the ethanol industry? I really don't. I'd like to tell you that ethanol or the demand driver was there domestically, and so far we're lacking that. And the data still shows that Americans are driving somewhere between 8 and 10% less each week. In the case of myself, we're not coming downtown to the office, even though that's where I am today. The staff is staying home. People are working from home. That's giving us less gasoline consumption. And because of that, we still think those uh, USDA numbers at 5.1 billion bushels could come down another 100 or 150 million bushels over the crop year. So the domestic market is not a demand driver for corn. Now, uh, on the balance sheet, of course, we're talking demand, but supply is also a huge part of that. Looking at expected yields as combines get ready to roll, do you think USDA is is online or are we a little short still on their yield projections? Uh, I would probably today say it's going to be slightly under, but the early corn yields, and again, I highlight early, have been relatively good. So, you know, we'll get more data. The trade here in Chicago will look at the data and start to make some assessments. I think the next two weeks will be very key for corn yield assessment as we head into that September stocks report later this month. All right. And so you are going to keep your eye on that 380 level if China continues to buy. That's the really the, the crucible of that yeah. price target. Exactly, Mike. And, and really, I would say 
370 to 375 is stretching it to the upside if China does not buy or keep up with its buying ways. And so we need our Chinese friends to come and buy more corn. Let's talk the wheat market. We haven't had much to say for the past several months, but things are getting interesting. Well, they are. You know, Mike, as we start to look at the Black Sea, which is where world wheat prices are determined, we're starting to be quite dry. And usually in the middle of September, much of the central areas of Russia have as much as 50 percent of their winter wheat crop in the ground. Today, the estimates are somewhere between 15 and 20 percent. So the, the Black Sea has been dry all the way over to Ukraine and portions of Poland. We need to see rainfall there if we're going to see a better uh, rep- uh, argument going forward for supply. As I think about the wheat market, though, we are now embarking on a very strong rally. I mean, we have wheat prices at the same level as last year in terms of the high in a global perspective. Egypt's been buying. There's lots of demand that's come in the last couple of weeks. Russian prices here this morning are up to about $230 a ton. So we've really moved the wheat market higher. Unfortunately, for the moment, though, the U.S. won't participate in this export demand as our basis bids out of the Gulf are too high. 175 over out of the Gulf makes U.S. wheat too expensive. But again, when you look at corn and bean bids out of the Gulf, they're also expensive because we've already given all that loadout capacity to China. Gotcha. Well, as we're talking soybeans, you mentioned them there just briefly. The soybean rally has been phenomenal. We took out that double top from earlier this year at 380 and have powered upwards north of $10. Same question as the corn market. How aggressive should growers be here before they get into the fields on their sales? Well, I think if we make it up to 1025 to 1040, that's an area that I would be as a farmer looking at making some sales. I think longer term, as we think ahead to our friends in Brazil, they are going to go fence row to fence row. A Brazilian clients, I have an office in Goiás. They're looking at, you know, expanding six to eight percent. So if weather is good in South America, we're going to see just a tremendous bean crop down there. And then they'll follow with a safrina winter corn crop. So I think that farmers need to be targeting this late September, early October time frame, unless they really want to bet on a weather problem in Latin America. All right. Well, it's certainly been telling the amount of Chinese demand, as you mentioned in the first segment, for American soybeans. Do you anticipate that to continue, at least through harvest? So we think that the, the, uh, the Chinese today have bought, as I said earlier, 23 to 24 million metric tons of beans. That total could make it up to 30 to 32 for the crop year. So the Chinese still have some room to make purchases, but understand that we're getting to the end of this. This has been government buying, real largely for the reserves. So at some point, if a politician in China makes the decision that, well, we've got enough right now, let's not buy, then the bean market will retrace and could correct rather sizably. All right, well, let's talk livestock a little bit. We're coming to the end of summer, the end of the grilling season. As you look ahead for live cattle pricing, what does that tell you? Well, the cattle market here for another two to three weeks will probably slash around. I don't see getting left below a dollar a pound. I think we're coming into some sport here. But as I look forward, I still have this issue with placements being about you know, somewhere five to seven percent above last year into the end of the year. So on feed supplies will be up six to seven percent. We've got a mountain of red meat to move through. We expect anyway that as we go forward, we will see help from China again, especially on the pork sector. But I do worry a little bit about cattle prices heading into the first quarter. We think if you get February cattle up to 118 or in that vicinity, it's a place as a hedger to start laying off some risk. 118 and on pork, what are you watching for price targets here in the short term? 
we're look, we're seeing December hog somewhere between 65 and 67 cents as being an upside extreme. A lot of the pork rally has been, of course, due to the wild boar that was found with African swine fever in Germany that caused some uh, some speculative demand to come into market. But I think the belly market is getting to a near term top here, and so I worry that prices will be pulling back and that U.S. Uh, weekly hog kills will get back to 2.8 or 2.85 billion a million head, which adds a lot of supply and, and really puts, uh, I, I think, tremendous impact on the consumer. Will consumers in the United States keep buying all this red meat as they had during the summertime? All right. Remains to be seen. Thanks so much to Dan Bossy, president of Ag Resource Company. The Department of Agriculture on Friday released details of a second round of COVID-19 help for farmers, which will pay up to $14 billion to growers of major crops such as corn, soybeans, and wheat, as well as livestock, dairy, and tobacco. When tobacco was mentioned, someone commented, I thought the tobacco program ended years ago. The support program did, but it is being included in any aid to crop producers. So as we take a look at what the secretary had to say, he said, we listened to feedbacks received from farmers, ranchers, and agricultural organizations about the impact of the pandemic on our nation's farms and ranches, and we developed a program to better meet the needs of those impacted. Those are the words of Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. Despite the fact the administration has been criticized for the $28 billion spent over 2018 and 19 to compensate farmers for lost sales during a tariff war with China. Scott Faber, who is a senior vice president of government affairs at the Environmental Working Group, an organization that generally isn't in favor of agricultural people, said, once again, the Trump administration is funneling too much money to farmers that do not need it and not enough to those that are facing economic ruin. The only plausible explanation is that this is just old-fashioned boat buying. The new aid package will largely be funded by the Commodity Credit Corporation. That's a program that goes back to the Depression, the early Depression, that was created to support farm income. And funds from the corporation do not need to be approved by Congress. The USDA also said that up to $100 million in aid for tobacco farmers will come from the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. And you can guess who is happy with that news. In North Carolina, the top tobacco-producing state, Republican Senator Tom Tillis, thanked President Trump and Secretary Perdue for helping farmers in his state. So the arithmetic gets a little complicated, but let me share it with you rather quickly. You're going to have to go to your county extension office, I think, to get the final figures that will be involved in the aid program. But based on the government's latest harvest projections, farmers could receive about 23 cents a bushel for corn, 
That would be $3.4 billion and 31 cents a bushel for soybeans. That would be a billion three hundred thirty million dollars. That's according to a Reuters analysis of figures from the USDA and the American Farm Bureau Federation. The program also allows farmers to apply for aid at $15 an acre for major crops, row crops such as corn, soybeans, and wheat. The USDA said that major row crops were eligible for the program because the national average price for them fell at least 5% between mid-January and late July. Prices have rallied sharply since that time, with the surge in buying from China pushing the soybean futures market to its highest level in more than two years, and corn trading at its highest in more than six months. Wheat recently hit a five-month top. The new plan adds nearly 100 specialty crops like honey, ginger, and macadamia nuts. It also eases restrictions on aid for such crops that farmers said limited the benefits of the previous payment program. Hog farmers will be paid $23 per pig after receiving about $1.6 billion in the first round. That, according to the National Pork Producers Council, the group said pig farmers still need more help. Some 20 meat plants closed in April due to COVID-19 outbreaks among workers, and that backed up livestock on farms and prompted some producers to euthanize pigs, and we do remember that. National Pork Producers Council said all hog farmers are hurting as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, and additional Federal assistance is urgently needed to preserve the livelihoods of thousands of American hog producers. So uh, agriculture continues to be challenged, and uh, talking to officials of state and uh, national farm bureaus, they all said, you know, it's going to be used because of the challenge that pork producers have with the markets that they have lost. Also want to mention the fact that the U.S. ambassador to China will step down early next month, and that ends a three-year term marked by a trade war and increasingly bitter relations between the world's two largest economies. Terry Branstad, native of Iowa, appointed by President Donald Trump in 2017, said that he will be leaving next month. But he said to his embassy staff, quote, I am proudest of our work in getting the phase one trade deal and delivering tangible results for our communities back home. Word of his departure leaked out earlier in the day this week when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo thanked Brandstad on Twitter for his service. He's 73 years old. He's a native of Iowa and had an interesting term, two terms, as governor because he served 22 years as governor of Iowa, but it came in two spans, from 1983 to 1999, and then from 2011 to 2017. 
I had the chance to uh, to know Terry Branson. I knew his father even better because he was a steady listener. But uh, I did have the opportunity to plow in the world ag plowing matches back when the Farm Progress Show was held in Iowa. And I was one of the tractor drivers. Terry Branston was also a tractor driver who competed. And I'll say this, he beat me. He did a better job of plowing than I was able to do. But I didn't plow that much on our farm in Wisconsin. The other accomplishment for Terry Branstead, he welcomed American beef back to the Chinese market after a 14-year ban, saying, quote, I know it is a key priority of the president to reduce the trade deficit, and this is one of the ways that we can do it. But uh, enjoyed the exchanges I had with him. One of the reasons that he was named is the fact that uh, the man who is now president of China, Xi Jinping, visited Iowa a couple of times while he was governor. And so he came out to the farm that uh, the Branstead family owned and got a first-hand look at an American farm. As we take a look at how the markets in agriculture ended this week, well, let's take a look at the uh, grain market, first of all, because that's been making news lately. Soybean futures extended their bull run today, reaching a two-year top, as, again, China continued with daily purchases of U.S. soybeans, and wheat futures climbed more than 3%. That, on fears of tightening supplies from key exporters, corn futures also rose for a third straight session. With Friday's higher close, soybeans have risen in 17 of the last 19 sessions and recorded a sixth straight weekly advance, pushed by a streak in daily Chinese purchases of U.S. supplies. The Department of Agriculture confirmed U.S. soy sales to China in each of the last 11 business days, including today's announcement of 132,000 tons. The USDA also reported sales of 210,000 tons of U.S. corn to China and 100,000 tons of soybean meal to unknown destinations. So that pretty well covers the market story. Oh, there's a lot more we could talk about, I'm sure, but that's all the time we have once again. And uh, we appreciate your listening to us. I'm Orion Samuelson on The Markets. (laughs) 